Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to our Life Church podcast. And today we're going to finish this series that Charlotte started some weeks ago now. And it's called Don't Poison Your Promotion. It's an incredible message about announcing a brand new season of promotion for all of us. I know you're going to enjoy this message. If you missed any previous weeks, download it on iTunes. But now, let's get started in this final message. LEAD is a free one-day event for all those in leadership. It will be taking place on the 29th of September at 10 a.m. at our main Bradford campus. We're so thrilled to have Pastor Kevin Gerald all the way from Champions Church in Seattle, Washington to be with us and all of our leadership team for Life Church on the day. Hello, Life Church. You guys are an awesome, amazing, incredible, difference-making church. And we can't wait to be with you uh, real soon for the lead event coming up in the life of your church. Business leaders, I hope you'll come out and be a part as well as all the church leaders of Life Church. You've got amazing leadership right now. Your pastors uh, are world known and respected, Pastor Steve and Charlotte, and uh, our church loves them. And I can't wait to be a part of your world again. We're gonna have fun, it's gonna be exciting. Be there for a weekend as well as your event. So, coming soon. Can't wait to be with you guys. Here we're going to equip, inspire, and to build a generation to reach a generation. And we hope that you'll be able to join with us. You know, we've been in a few weeks now of thought on this subject of promotion. And I wanted to carry on kind of with a closing thought this morning that kind of is another look at it from a different aspect, which fits perfectly with where we just were in the worship. And so I want to just take a few more moments this morning to come at this a different way. And actually, I'm going to speak to you from a scripture that I spoke recently to a group of leaders actually at Cherish from, which has not left me in this thought. And so we're going to go there in a moment. But if you missed the last few weeks, we've been talking about how promotion is not a secular business idea, but promotion is a God idea. I know the word may have a connotation to it that makes you feel you've got to work harder, you've got to graft harder, you've got to work, you know, to get a promotion. But in God, it says in Job 36, in the message version of it, it puts it brilliantly. And it says in verse 7, it says that God looks. He never takes his eyes off the righteous because he honors them lavishly and he wants to promote them endlessly. You know, God wants to promote your life and mine. Promotion is to take more influence. It's to step up and speak out more. It's to take more ground, which is the job of the church. And so over the last few weeks, I've been trying to undo our thinking about about promotion where it may be unhelpful and rebuild our thinking to understand that why would God not want to promote you? If you represent Him and His kingdom and He resides on the inside of you, why would He want not to elevate your voice? Why would He not want to give you more ground? Why would He not want to advance you? And last Sunday night, if you were here, um, I did a demonstration Um, by saying that we're all in this together by asking everybody in the room, and I won't do it now because some of you Sunday morning crowd might shout me down. Sunday night, we're a bit more up for it. But I had everybody in the room stand on their chair. 
And instantly everybody in the room had a different perspective. Instantly every single person in the room was uncomfortable for a moment because they had to get up on their chair, some in high heels, some feeling like they couldn't balance. And as they stood on their chair, in one instant they saw things differently. They saw a higher perspective. That's what God means by promoting us. He's trying to get us out of our comfortable, usual position and elevate us to a higher level so we see differently, we think differently, we speak differently, we pray differently, we ask differently. When you're sat down here, you ask for things at this level. But when you suddenly climb up, you ask for other stuff because you're aware of a different perspective. That's what God's after in His people. That by lifting us all up in our thinking, we will begin to lift up our asking, we begin to lift up our planning. And you know what, church? We're in a season as a leadership team where we're asking for some pretty crazy stuff. And when we ask for that crazy stuff we're asking on all of our behalf. <laughs> You're all in it with us whether you like it or not. Which brings us to really where I want to focus for the next few moments, which is another aspect of promotion and protecting of that promotion. And in order to do that, I'm going to take us to a story that's found in Kings. This story is found in two kings, two kings uh, and kings actually in general is probably some of my favorite books in the Bible. They're the, they're the books that just keep on giving with crazy and fun stories with great truth in them. And there's a story in two kings, 38, that we're going to look at in a moment that has a funny heading. It's called Death in the Pot. Everybody say that, Death in the Pot. There, oftentimes when I am cooking, this could be said of my cookie and culinary skills, there is definitely something dead in this pot. And so we're not talking about my natural cooking, so lessen the amens on the front row, Mr. Gamble, thank you very much. And uh, because what you sow, you will reap, and you should know that by now. And... Uh, <laughs> But I'm not talking about my own cooking, but I'll get to this passage in a minute because one of the final things I think I want to talk about, and again, I don't want you to go into autopilot and you're thinking when I say this word. One of the things that I believe is a great protection of the promotion that God wants to give the church and us individually. One of the great protectors of promotion that I want to speak about for these next 20 minutes together is unity. Now, when I say unity as a pastor of the church, here's what I know can happen in the room. People can start to think, oh, she means us all, you know, being at church. Oh, she means us all serving up, you know, in an area. Oh, she means that we've got to, you know, give more or commit more. Or, or, and so we begin to think, you know, I've heard it all before. But I want you to just get rid of any of those thoughts. And I want you to understand that God is doing something across the globe. It's not our thing, it's God's thing. God is doing a move across this nation and beyond where thousands of people today, millions of people today are in church, worshiping Him, declaring His greatness, calling on His healing, believing for great breakthroughs, and God is moving throughout the world in an incredible, if you, you need to get your head out of maybe your own life and, and look a little bit beyond to see that actually what the world say that the church is in decline is not true, that the church has never been stronger or healthier or more together in this day and age on the planet. 
And so when I talk about unity, I'm talking about us being part of something that is beyond just here, but it is global and it is kingdom and it's God's doing that started this thing. And it's our job to get on board with what God is doing by uniting behind the God idea and the God move that's going on. And so this is way beyond, oh, I need to show up or I need to turn up. This is actually, unity is, I believe, crucial in the church right now for us to to protect what God is doing. Unity is not that we all agree all of the time. And everybody said, how many of you in here are married? And you know it's true that though you are united, there are times when you are divided. There are times when you feel differently about the same issue. There are times when your approach to parenting is different than your spouse's. There are times in the marriage where there is a difference of opinion, but it does not change the fact that as a couple, you are united in a commitment. So I'm not talking about us all singing the same song, loving the same things, eating the same food. I'm talking about something way deeper and way more spiritual. I'm talking about a unity that comes from our guts that says, I am in this thing. I am going to work through through this thing. I am committed to this thing because I see the bigger picture, not just my part of the picture. Do you understand? And God needs us to find that kind of unity in order to protect what He is doing, in order to cover what is going on, because it's our togetherness that will advance the kingdom faster. It's our togetherness that will see more miracle signs and wonders. It's our togetherness, not just here, but across all our campuses and beyond with the global church, that will mean that we become part of something that is massively effective rather than something that is small in significance. And I think for, for, for one of the biggest struggle sometimes living in Bradford and living in Yorkshire is that we feel like we're just these random people on the edge of Yorkshire that everybody's forgotten about. And I think we have to fix our thinking and realize we have a key part to play in God's united global move that's going on on the planet. And once we elevate that thinking, we'll begin to think differently about what we're doing. Psalm 133 talks about when we are together, when we are united, that there's a blessing of God that comes on our unity. If you are married in here, I come back to that reference. If you have raising children in here, how many of you know that when the family are all on the same page, when we are all one, the house is a blessed place to be. But when we are not all one, the house is somewhere you would rather escape. Maybe you go three blocks further out of your way on the drive home, just to delay coming through the front door to World War III yet again. Because unity brings with it a special blessing that gives us peace and helps us make progress, which is why the enemy hates it when the church get a grasp of what real unity looks like. Which is why the enemy will try and divide us separate us, disconnect us, pick us off from one another, isolate us, because he knows your effectiveness is far less when you're out on your own than when you are in the place of being united into the bigger thing that God is doing. So this passage in 2 Kings is maybe seems a strange passage to refer to with this thought, but actually in this passage are lots of keys for us to look at of how we protect, as it were, what God is doing and how we protect and deal with those times because there will be those times 
moments and there have been those times and there will be more of those times to come when there are things that go on that we're like, mm, I don't know that I agree with that. I don't know that I like that. I don't know that I, that's my thing. There are times when those opportunities will come for us to disconnect, but God's got a plan for us, all of us to stay connected if we can see bigger picture. And this is kind of what happened in this small funny incident through a pot of stew. That's what we're gonna learn from this morning. It's amazing what you can learn from in church. This morning's lesson comes to you from a pot of stew. That makes me hungry. My mum makes great stew and I've not had it for a long time and I'm just saying it publicly. I've not had mum's stew for a long time. Just putting it out there for anybody in the room that that may refer to. I only have one mother so it narrows the audience down quite largely. So I'm just saying. Okay, so. It says in verse 38, Elisha returned to Gilgal and there was a famine in that region. There was a famine in that region. That's important to know. While the company of prophets were meeting with him, he said to his servants, put on the large pot and cook some stew for these prophets. Now I wanna stop you right there to show you something that I love about the Bible and I love about this man of God in particular. Here's this prophet that's going to teach the school of prophets and he arrives in a place of famine. And the first thing he does is super practical. Instead of coming and arriving with all his great wisdom and with all his great lessons to teach and with all the things that he feels he could teach these young prophets, he realizes that this land, unlike the land where he's been, is in a time of famine. And the first thing he does, he says, let's make some dinner. Everybody said, amen. Everybody loves a practical prophet. Everybody loves someone who's gonna take care of their belly as well as their destiny. And so he says, you know what, you're all hungry. Let's make something to eat. Well, it was a time of famine. And you know what, just in that little sentence alone, I believe that is the ministry, the prophetic ministry of the church today on the planet. That our job is to go into the places of famine and as it were, put the pot on to begin to feed people before we preach at people, before we correct people, before we tell people what they've done wrong. When we show up as the church and we say in places of famine, we've come to feed you, I'm telling you people flock around the pot. Whereas if we turned up in a place of famine and said we've come to preach at you, less people would show up at the meeting. And I love that his first response to famine is, okay, let's just feed people in this famine time. And you know, the church's job right now all across the earth is to spot what the famine is in every area where we do life. Where there's a famine of hope, we're supposed to put the pot on of hope. Where there's a famine of trust, we're supposed to be people of God that the world can trust. Where there's a famine of brokenness, we're supposed to go and take wholeness. Our job is to take the pot, as it were, and put it on in the community where we represent and we live to feed those that are lacking these things that the scripture is referring to. And so it says he got there and he put the pot on and he said, let's cook some stew. Now, in this time of advancement in the kingdom, and you could apply this to your own life, your own life's advancement, your own life's promotion, your own life, whatever the pot is that you're putting on in your life. In this life and in this season of of expanding and feeding more people and expanding our reach and increasing the sound of the voice of what God's doing and stepping up in these areas. As you increase what you do, as you say to people, okay, this is what we're gonna do. What happened here is he didn't say, I'm gonna make a stew. He said, we're gonna put a pot on and you're all gonna help me make the stew, okay? 
So straight away, everybody had a job. And I believe often as leaders, what we do is we say, we're going to put a pot on <laughs> and you're all going to help us make the stew. Now, some of you are like, well, I didn't want stew and I didn't ask for stew and I didn't come to church to make stew. But I believe when you want to grow things in God, you should all the time be showing up and realize somebody has put a pot on and they need me to help them fill it. That's why unity begins by you understanding your part of filling the pot. That every single one of us has a part to play in doing what God needs doing across the earth. That all of us have a contribution to make to the pot. However big or small you may feel that is, God's saying, I'm doing something to feed a famine in this land, to feed a famine of injustice, to feed a famine of hopelessness, to feed a famine of brokenness. I'm doing something. The pot is on. Now, could you all go get something to add to the stew? So my question is, what are you adding to the stew? Are you adding faith? Are you adding prayer? Are you adding your gift and your talent? You're adding your resources. Last week I talked about how our provision, our giving is a contribution to protecting the bigger picture of what God's doing. Are you adding in some way to the stew? And I'm sure many of them had never made stew before. I'm sure they didn't know the ingredients that needed to be in this stew. But the point is, he didn't explain it. He just said, we need stew. There's a famine. Everybody go get something. And in a time of advancement, there is an increased season of empowerment. And with an increased season of empowerment, guess what happens? There's an increased potential for misunderstanding. The more of us are adding, the more of us are contributing, the more of us are coming, the more of us are playing our part, the more opportunity there is for disunity instead of unity. It's almost like, have you ever tried with your children, if you have kids, to say, you know, well, let's bake. And you think that would be a good idea. You know, it'll just fill a few hours of time and I'll get the kids involved in baking. And so you get all the bowls out and all the ingredients out and the kids are super excited and you know that they have no clue what they're doing, but you're in charge, so it's gonna be good. Well, you're about 10 minutes in and you're like, what a stupid idea this was. Because now you just want to slap them because now eggs are on the floor and they're licking spoons with raw ingredients on it and you're gonna be responsible for food poisoning them and they're putting their fingers in stuff that you know people are gonna eat from and, and now they're falling out over who gets to do the chocolate and the sprinkles are everywhere and you're like, this was a bad idea. That is exactly what it's like building the kingdom of God. <laughs> That's exactly what it's like and sometimes you wanna go, God, let me just do the church my way because I'll control the chocolate, I'll control the sprinkles, I won't let that person anywhere near the stove because it set the house on fire. I, I, I won't let them, they have no hygiene, so they're not coming. And we, and we try and control it, but God says, no, when I'm increasing and promoting and advancing the church, it looks like a lot of mess, which means that you've got to commit to a lot of unity. You're gonna to have to have a lot of grace, a lot of stretch within you, a lot of letting go of the things that maybe are more controlling in you so that people can be empowered to contribute to the stew of what I'm doing. And I wanna to say to anyone in here this morning, however old or young you are in the faith, in this season of advancement that God has for His church globally, every single one of you needs to feel validated in playing your part 
Even if your part might not look as good as the person's next to you or behind you, you need to know that the more of us contribute, the bigger we can advance and the more we can get done. And so we will be as as, as discerning as we can be. We will be as helpful as we can be. But like he said to the prophets, go get whatever it is you can find and let's make this thing happen. Let's sort this famine out. Let's feed you. So it says, because when you empower people, this is what happens. One of them went out into the fields to gather herbs and found a wild vine and picked as many of its gourds as his garment could hold. I, I think he was the zealous one. I think he was the one keen to impress the prophet. I think he was the, you know, the kid that you see at school that annoys everybody, that always wants to put the hand up to tell the teacher, even though usually they don't have a clue what they're putting the hand up for. It's just, they just have this reaction that they want to be the one that, I think it wasn't malice that he picked a wild vine. I don't think it was deliberate that he picked a wild vine. I don't think he had some sabotage plot hidden. I just think he was eager. I think he was enthusiastic. I think he was keen to please. And so he goes out and he says he fills his garment with all that it could hold. And when he returned, he cut up the vine and he threw it into the pot of stew, though no one knew where what he'd thrown in had come from or what they were. Verse 40, the stew was poured out for all of the men. But as they began to eat it, they cried out, man of God, there is death in the pot. Message Bible says, there is poison in the pot. And they could not eat it. Now here's what I want you to see about what happens in a season of advancement. The great gift that was happening amongst these people is that first of all, they dealt with the first thing, which I talked about a few weeks ago, which was pride. Because when you're proud, these kinds of conversations cannot happen. You can't shout out in front of everyone, someone's thrown a wild vine in! Because someone will probably smack you, hit you, you'll have hurt someone's feelings, someone's gonna be upset with you that you've said maybe that they've caused the problem or that they caused you know, the, 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 the poison to come into the pot. And so everybody's really cautious when you're not sure everybody's united. Nobody really speaks up if something doesn't taste right or something's not done right because nobody wants to hurt anybody's feelings. But what I want you to see is that in a season of advancement, we need to have the freedom and the discernment amongst all of God's people that when we know something in the pot is off, we all have the liberty to shout, ah, death in the pot, and nobody be offended. Do you understand? What happens often as we grow and as we advance in any, any area of life, you could take this into business. Uh, you could take this into your marriage. You could take this into your family and your relationships. When somebody comes and what they throw in the mix of what you're trying to build has an off taste to it. You know, they just say something and it's like, it's not going with the flow of what you're trying to achieve. They make a comment and it cuts across what you're trying to build. You know, they bring to the pot something that maybe is not deliberate, but you just know it's kind of like negative or it's kind of pulling that person down and makes them look better by pulling them up. Or they add something in the mix of a, a, of a questioning or they add something in the mix of just a, an atmosphere and it comes into what you're doing, and as soon as it gets into what you're doing, here's the thing, it begins to pollute what everybody's working so hard to achieve. And with that poison, it begins to affect the promotion that God's trying to give you. It begins to affect the thing that God's trying to put in your hands to feed more people. And what I'm appealing for this morning 
is that in a season of expansion in every area of our lives, that we are more discerning than we have ever been. And we are more united than we've ever been. So that if there is something that's off, we can all say it's off and everybody is saying it from the heart of not to say something awful about anybody, but we're saying it because we want to protect what God's doing. You know what? The way that that relationship's going down, it's not good. I think you should go fix it. I think if you fix it, I think it's going to help us go to the next level. But oftentimes we just leave things unsaid. We leave things kind of in the stew. And we're like, you know, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to deal with it. I, I, I don't want to go get it and fish it out. I don't want to make a scene. And you know, in that attitude, our marriages that go bad, in that attitude of families that divide, in that attitude, our relationships that are severed forever when there was no reason for them to be severed because we didn't have the unity and we didn't have the spirit of agreement that said, you know what? We all are going to benefit if we remove this from the stew. Instead of making somebody the scapegoat, why don't we all find a way of fixing what has been thrown randomly into what God is doing? And so the stew was poured out and they just shouted, ah, this is awful. I don't know if you've ever made anything and somebody has said that when you've made it. That has happened to me on a couple occasions, that somebody has eaten something that I have lovingly prepared and their reaction has not been what I would have liked it to be. Something like, uh, what is this? Like that would be food that your mother has made for you. Oh, uh, this is disgusting. I remember I'm telling a story on uh, my parents. I'm borrowing one of their stories. It just dropped into my mind. But I do remember growing up that my family had uh, a couple back for dinner. And the couple that came for dinner in the early days of church brought some after eight mints with them uh, to the meal for dinner and I remember after dinner my mum would put the after eight meats mince meats after eight mints on this uh, tray and brought them out that this couple had kindly brought with them to the house and as we're sitting down and my dad takes a bite of one of the after eight mints he goes oh Glenda these are disgusting don't let anybody eat them they're off they're foul they're foisty and I could just see my mum dying as she's trying to like like they brought them, they're not ours, they brought them. It was the equivalent of death in the pot. Who's trying to poison my family? And this poor couple that had brought them out of the goodness of their heart were sat there as not only one comment was made, but several were made. And my dad tried to snatch them out of people's hands, wanting to save them from near death by eating a foisty after eight mint, while my mum politely began to chew hers, smiling like there was nothing. Paul, I don't know what you're talking about. They're perfectly fine. It must just have been the one that you ate. No, look at this one. No, look at this one. <laughs> I remember it as a child. I remember that scenario playing out. But I tell you, in the house of God, we're laughing about that now. But often that scenario, when it's something to do with our personality, we get so upset. We leave the church. We never speak to that person again because they said, I think this is off. And he was saying, I think this mint is off, not in order to embarrass the person, but in order to stop people digesting something that did not taste good. 
And it's exactly the same in the house of God. That our job in the house of God is not to embarrass somebody or make them feel bad, but our job has to be, we're here to protect the bigger picture of what God is doing. And I think that is off. And I think if we feed that to more people, we're gonna give them indigestion. And I don't think we're gonna help promote what God wants to promote. I think we're gonna poison people instead of feed people. And I just believe in this season, we need discernment like never before and we need unity like never before so we can say it's off however we say that and people not be like right well I'm leaving the church because I brought those after eight mints there's no love here for me and my mints I'll take my foisty mints somewhere else but instead we say you know what I didn't realize that that attitude was out of line you know what I didn't realize when I said that I hurt you and I don't want to hurt you or anyone else thank you for raising it let's fix it let's make sure that we don't eat that again or consume that again. (laughs) Raising two children, I can relate to this conversation many, many, many times over because there are things that Hope and Noah are discovering in their communication to one another, let's put it that way, In in their tenser moments as brother and sister. And what they're realizing is Noah is wired very differently than Hope. But we're all called to build the Gamble family. And if we're all going to build the Gamble family, you're going to have to figure out that your sister is upset when you speak to her that way and hope you're going to have to figure out that when you do that in your brother's presence, that is not helpful for your brother and that embarrasses him in front of his friends. That brings death to the part of the family peace we're trying to keep intact. Do you understand? So if you can't see it in the church, maybe you can see it first in your family and then you understand that God's family works exactly the same that our job here is to build a church where we are more committed to staying united about what matters than leaving over things that do not matter or or being embarrassed about things that actually, by saying death in the pot, we save people instead of just save ourselves. Does that make sense? So I love what happens next because this often is not what happens next. They shout out, man of God, there's poison in this pot and they can't eat it anymore. And here's what Elisha does in his wisdom, and here's what I'm talking about us doing in this season of advancement. Elisha said, get some flour. The band can begin to come up. Elisha said, get some flour. And he put it into the pot. And then he said this, serve it to the people for them to eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. Here's what fascinates me about this. Here's Elisha. And here's what many times we do. When something goes off or we feel like out of sorts or something just doesn't feel right, there's poison in the pot of whatever it is, here's what we often do. We go, you know what? It's ruined. Let's throw it all away. Let's throw that ministry away. Let's throw that couple away. You know what? Let's throw that idea away. You know what? Let's throw my commitment to the local house away because I was hurt. You know what, let's throw away my commitment, my, my giving. Let's throw away that relationship because I don't like the way it is right now. So let's just get rid of it. That's what we do when we think there's poison in the pot. You know what? And every single time we do that, the enemy wins. Because you know what you got to do? Go all the way back and start all over again. Which means often not just weeks and months, but years rebuilding what you had already built. 
years of redoing over what you'd already done. And the enemy sits back and he goes, just took one wild vine to wipe that church out. They've gone back to square one. Just took one wild vine of offense to take that couple out. And now they're homeless, now they're churchless, now they're friendless, now they're relationless. Works every single time. Just need to get the right vine at the right time. And in your moment of great advancement, you're taken out by a silly vine. That if unity would seal our hearts and minds, we'd be like, hey bro, it's okay, I, I screwed up, I stuffed up. Hey, you know what, I messed up too, you know what? You'll get over it, you'll get through it, but we ain't throwing you out and we're not throwing out what God's doing just because of one wild vine. I love that the prophet, he didn't throw the stew out because he knew they'd all worked hard for the stew. Instead, he had something in his arsenal. He had flour. And he says that he saw that they were being poisoned by what they were eating and so he wanted to save them from the poison, but he didn't want to waste all their effort. And so he said, you know what? I'm just gonna throw this in. And somehow what he threw in the pot made the pot safe again. The flour he threw in to the poison took the poison out and made the stew safe again. But here's the other part. The prophets who a moment ago were being choked by what they were eating had to have enough unity of agreement and trust that they would put their spoon back in the same pot that a moment ago was poisonous. They had to trust the leader. And some of you have come here and you've come from other churches and you're like, oh, I don't know that I can unite behind the vision. I'm not sure that I can give. I'm not sure I can commit because you know in that last place, but you have to be willing to know that we're not gonna throw the, the stew out of what God's done in your life thus far, but you have to trust that when a pastor or a leader or a person that you trust throws flour in it and says, try again, sign up again. I know that last life group, you didn't enjoy it, but you know what, this is a new life group. Sign up, don't close yourself off. You know what, we've thrown some flour in that pot, you're gonna be good. And you have to go, okay, and you have to decide, would I rather starve or would I rather trust and show up and put my spoon back in the pot and get united behind the vision, trusting that God's flower of grace, of peace, of hope, of love can cover and remove poison from the places where God wants to give you promotion. I love that picture. And I believe unity looks like this, that you come to church with a bag of flour, that you do life with a bag of flour. And when you say, oh, that tastes off, with the next hand you say, oh, but that's gonna fix it. Oh, that conversation's not right, but oh, that's gonna fix it. You know what, that person over there, they seem to have got more isolated and they seem to be kind of mean and they seem to be kind of cutting people off. But you know what, I'm gonna go take my flower of friendship and throw it in that stew because I don't want another person lost when I have flour in my pocket. You know that person over there? I just think they need a flower of my prayers in their life. And I believe in this season of increase and advancement, we all need a bag of flour. A bag of flour that helps us protect what God is doing. Flour that are words of encouragement. If there's negativity in the pot, hello, I'm gonna have flour of positivity. If there's criticism in the pot, 
I'm going to have flower of praise to overcome it. If there's isolation in the part, I'm going to have flower of friendship that helps bring those people back in. And I don't know what it is that God is showing you, but if there's death in the pot where you are, my suggestion is don't throw away what you worked so hard for, but instead go get some flower to heal. Go get some flower to repair. Go get some flower to restore. And so in this season, whatever that looks like for you of advancement, where God's trying to promote His people to take more ground, understand we're in it together. It's our together that helps us take more ground. It's our together that helps us advance. So this morning, just stand to your feet all across the room. Well, hey, that's the last part of this series, and I hope you've enjoyed it. And I hope now you can work with God to help Him promote you, that you won't poison your destiny, but you'll work with God, with the Holy Spirit, to see you go from strength to strength in this next season of your life. And we would love to hear how this message has impacted you. If you've got a prayer request, write to us as well at hello at lifechurchhome.com. We would love to hear from you. Even more than that, come visit one of our campuses our Bradford, our main campus, or in Leeds, Belfast, or Warsaw, Poland. We would love to see you there. Life Church College is a one-year church-based Bible training program where students receive world-class teaching, practical church building skills, leadership training, and personal development. This incredible course has been running for 15 years and has seen over 700 students graduate from all over the world. It allowed me to explore who I am and who God is and also allowed me to develop my skill set and realise that I can do so much more and I have such a bigger purpose than what I imagined at the beginning of the year. If you're looking to grow and develop in the things of God, then this is the course for you. Now I know I can build something. I can change this generation. I'm not just one more. I'm not just part of the crowd. I'm, I'm part of God's plans. For more information, visit lifechurchcollege.com. For more information, visit lifechurchcollege.com.